It's good to have you all here this morning. It is good to be here myself. Um, just a couple of things before we begin, some life moments. Uh, in the bulletin, I think last week you saw that uh, Millie Powers, we're, we're doing a birthday card shower for Millie Powers. Now, Millie Powers uh, is up at uh, the, the Danbury Retirement Center up in Worcester. She is turning 100 years old next week. It's not often you get to send somebody a birthday card for their 100th birthday. So we want you to send her birthday cards uh, to, to wish her a happy birthday um, because probably 99% of us, there may be nobody in here that ever uh, gets to celebrate a 100th birthday. So this is a special day for her. So send her a birthday card. Um, the other thing, Stephen Friedekheim, last week, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, we sent you a prayer request. Uh, Frida is pregnant with twins. Um, and a couple weeks ago, they, they realized that, that one of the twins didn't have a heartbeat. Uh, so one of the twins isn't living anymore. She is going, they're going to deliver those babies today. And so if you could just pray for Steve and Frida, pray for safety, uh, for her health, for the health of the baby that's, um, that is being born. But also just as they go through this, there's lots of joy as they deliver this baby, but there's also sorrow because there is a, a living baby and there's a baby that they've lost. And so, so just, I'm going to stop and just pray for them uh, right now before we get into the message. Just remember to pray for them. Uh, you know, you can take meals into them, you know, call the office. Uh, I know you can, if you get on Effie Short's uh, Facebook page, I think you can, there's a place where you can take meals in for the family. So just let me pray for them and then we'll jump into the sermon. Father, I pray right now for Frida. Lord, I pray for her health. Uh, Lord, the safety of her health. I pray, Lord, as she delivers these babies that, um, that um, you would protect the baby that is still living. And Father, as, as Steve and Frida and their family go through many emotions, um, I pray, Father, that you would meet them where they're at and you would love them and they would sense your love and, and your presence. Um, as they go through this journey, um, this season of rejoicing as well as grieving. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So we're in the uh, book of 1 Peter. We are in chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 13 to the end of the chapter. And if you remember with me, Peter is writing a letter to a group of Christians who were experiencing severe persecution in the first century. And these Christians, as they're experiencing this severe persecution, they're asking the question, how do we endure this? What do we do? How do we respond to these leaders who are, who are so Christless and brutal? Do we ignore them? Do we disregard them? Do we fight them? How do we respond to this government that is brutally attacking us? And so Peter begins his letter by reminding them of their identity, of who they are in Christ, of, of the fact that they have been chosen, that, that they are, that they are a, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a people of God. And Kelsey talked last week to us about the fact that our core identity and who we are at our core 
And so what Peter does is he reminds them at the very beginning of this letter of who they are at their core. They are Christ's children. They are children of God. They are deeply loved by him. And, and because of that then, so the first two, most of the first two chapters, he talks about, to them about their identity and, and who they are in Christ and that they are his. And then he begins now to talk about this as a follower of Christ, as, as your identity is in Christ. Now, this is how you ought to live. This is how you live as a follower of Christ. And up in verse 11, he reminds them again, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers of this world to abstain from sinful desires. So just again, reminding us that, that this is not our home, that we are exiles. We are living in a land that is not our own. We are preparing for a place that God is preparing for us. And so remember, you're aliens and strangers. This is not your home. So he says in verse 13, begins to talk to them about how they submit to rulers and authorities. He says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to condemn those or to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the king. Slaves, submit, to your, submit yourselves to masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. For this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to understand, and in the days and weeks, you would help us to understand how we live as followers of Christ, how our identity as believers is flushed out in everyday life. And today, as we look at this passage, may you show us what it means to be submissive. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. So the question that I ask myself as I read this passage is, 
Why should believers submit to authorities? When we look around at the landscape of our government, as we look at who is leading our governments and, and, and how they're leading, we ask the question, why should we submit? Now, that word submission simply means recognizing and acknowledging the authority that a person has and yielding to it. So how do we yield as followers of Christ to governments that are far from him and don't lead in a Christ-like way? How do we honor them? Because I believe as we look at this passage, a couple of things we have to remember is, first of all, we are called to honor the government, but we are not to idolize them. We are to submit, but we're not to put our hope in our government. And if there's something I see a lot of today that I see us, us doing as Christians is, is we put a lot of our hope in our government. We put our hope in who will be our president. And whether we agree with him or don't agree with him, when somebody is in power that we don't agree with, that we don't like, we don't have hope. When somebody comes in who we agree with and who we like and who we think will, will further our cause, then we put our hope in him. We are called to submit to but not hope in our government. We are to respect those in position but not blindly follow them. You know, when, when, when Peter was addressed in front of the Sanhedrin, he said, we must obey God rather than man. When they told Peter to quit preaching the gospel, he said, I can't do that. I must follow God rather than man. So there are times when we don't submit to our government, when they ask us to do things that go against the will of God. But we are to be submissive as citizens of this government. As followers of Christ, we are, we are to subject ourselves to our government. We're to submit willingly to those who lead us. And remember, Peter is writing a letter during the time when Emperor Nero is in charge, and he is one of the most brutal rulers of the Roman era. Remember, he, he burned Christians just so he would have light, and so Nero was a persecuting, killing, um, evil man. But Peter says, be subject to the king and to governors sent by him. And so we ask the question, why? Why would we submit ourselves? And right off the bat in verse 13, Peter answers that question. He says that, that we do so for the Lord's sake. We submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. So God has set up, has set them in authority for a reason. And we are called to submit. Romans 13.1 says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities exist that exist have been established by God. That makes us uncomfortable 
to think of some of the authorities that are in place. And yet God uses them to fulfill his purposes. And we are to submit to them for the sake of the Lord. And we'll see why. Romans 13, 4 says, For he is God's servant, speaking of leaders, to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid of who does... For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on wrongdoers. So government is given by God to restrain and punish evil and to promote good. And followers of Christ are to submit to the government as the rightful authority that is set up by God. And both Peter and Paul in their writings, are, are, they're, they're writing to us here in Romans 13 and in 1 Peter, they're writing to us in the midst of this corrupt Roman Empire. This empire was filled with idolatry and immorality, the abuse of women and, and child infanticide, and all kinds of other grossly immoral activity, and yet... Peter and Paul say to the Christians to submit themselves as citizens to this civil government. Paul takes it a step further in 1 Timothy. He says that, I urge you then, 1 Timothy 2, first of all, that all requests, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And then he says, for kings and those in authority that they may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And then Paul says at the end, he says, this is good and pleases God our Savior. So, So we as followers of Christ, we're not only called to submit to our authorities, but Paul says here in Timothy, we're to pray for them. We're commanded to pray for our leaders. Do I pray? For my leaders? Do I pray for those who are in authority over me? Do I pray for my president? Do I pray for my governor? Or or do I just sit back and and criticize and protest? And Paul says, no, we're supposed to pray for. Peter says, no, we're to submit. Why? For the Lord's sake. I like the way the message puts that verse 13. He says, make your master proud by being good citizens. Make your master proud by being good citizens. It's for the Lord's sake that we submit ourselves to our government. Then Peter goes on and he says that our submissions, our submission will silence ignorant talk. Ignorant talk of foolish men or those who don't believe in God. And, and, and many of these Christians were being mocked. They were, they were being persecuted. They were being passed over for job promotions. They were, they were a less than citizen. They were looked down upon. And yet, Paul said, Peter says, look, be submissive to them. Submit to them so that you silence the ignorant talk of men. So instead of responding with disobedience and anger, they were to respond with submission. And and Peter says, this will quiet the mouths of those 
who cursed Christianity. Romans 12, again, back to Romans, Romans 12, he says, Paul says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. If an enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, when the church responds to evil with good, people notice. People notice when we respond to evil with good. But I think in today's culture, we are so consumed with our rights and what's good for me as that, and that so we don't ever think about overcoming evil with good. In verse 12, Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse, that, that they accuse you of doing wrong. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. So, so Peter in verse 12, he says, Live good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you, they may see your good deeds. And when they see our good deeds, Peter says, they glorify our Father in heaven. Does the world see the good deeds of the church today? Do they see us do good in the midst of evil and, that, and do good in a way that causes them to glorify God? To take a step back and say, what's different about them? So maybe rather than us going and protesting against abortion, we volunteer at the Pregnancy Care Center. Maybe we mentor young men rather than talk about how bad they are and how worthless they are. We invest in young men who haven't had a chance. But we must do good so that the world notices. It's not enough to just protest and to just complain about the things that are going on in the world. We must do something. And that's what you see the Christians here in 1 Peter doing. Peter said, do something. Yeah, my wife got um, showed me a book that she had been has been reading. It's called "How the Church Changed the World," and there's many stories throughout the history of the church of how people doing good changed the world. And one of the things was on at the on the Tiber River in Italy. There's a bridge that goes over that river, and and newborn babies would be thrown over the river because parents didn't want them. Infanticide was a big thing in the early Roman culture. The murder of babies. They would take born babies because they didn't want them and they would throw them over the bridge into the water and the babies would drown. So the Christians, they, 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 they worked to change policy on that. They worked to make that illegal. But another thing they did was they sat in boats underneath the bridge catching babies as they came into the water. They did something. And the world took note at what the Christians were doing. We must do something for God's glory. And we do this Peter says in verse 16, because 
We are free men. He says, don't use your freedom to cover up evil, but live as servants of God. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, he says, my brothers, you were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in sinful nature, rather to serve one another. Live as free men, Peter says. And he's not talking about political freedom here. He's talking about spiritual freedom. You see, Christians have been freed from the sin and the penalty, um, uh, from sin and the power of it and the penalty of death because of sin. And this freedom means that, that, that we are servants of God, as verse 16 says. And the freedom from sin, the freedom of life in Christ is much more powerful than any political freedom. There are millions of people in the freedom of the United States that live in, in bondage to their sin, that are not free. Paul Peter says, look, you've got freedom. And because of that freedom, that freedom that comes from God himself, as free servants, live free, don't do evil to men. Use that freedom to do good. So that non-Christians will see your good deeds as citizens in the culture that you find yourself. Jesus told us that we are to be salt and light to the world. And in doing so, we bring glory to God. Remember, all of this that we're talking about is for the sake of the Lord. So we use our freedom in Christ not in an evil way, not in a selfish way, but in a humble and selfless way that models the goodness of Christ. We, show, we use our freedom in Christ to show God's love. And Peter closes this paragraph, this portion of the text in verse 17, but by telling us how we show God's love. He says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. So he says, first of all, show respect to everyone. Now, who is everyone? Is everyone just the people we like? Is everyone just the people that think like we do? No, everyone is everyone. Everyone is the people that we don't agree with. As Christians, we're to honor all people, no matter their position politically. And in this context, Peter's making it clear that he's talking about people outside of the church so we're not to despise them because they're not believers or because they don't think the way that we do. We're to treat them with honor. That doesn't mean we have to agree with them or to agree with their ideologies or, or how they think, but it does mean that we must respect them. 
We're not to regard people that we don't agree with as second-class citizens. And even when they treat us as second-class citizens, Peter says, respect everyone. How do we respect those who don't agree with us? Then he says, you're to respect everyone. You're to, to, to love the brotherhood. In other words, those within the family of Christ, those other believers that you're walking with in the body of Christ, you're to love the brotherhood. You're to look out for them. You see, as the world sees us, as the culture around us watches us love one another and care for one another, they take note. You see, we live in unity as the body of Christ so that God would be glorified. Because of our identity in him, we strive to maintain unity. And we do that by loving each other. And loving each other requires lots of work. Because even within the body of Christ, there are differences of opinion and differences of a way that we look at things. And yet, we're called to love one another. 1 John 2.9 says, If anyone who claims to be in the light hates his brother, he's still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, we live in this culture together. We need each other because living in the culture is hard. It's, it's challenging. It's tempting. It's enticing, and so we need one another. We need one another to love each other, and in love there's accountability, there's care that must happen, but we love one another. And then Peter says, not only do we respect those outside and we love the brotherhood, he says, we fear God. Now, notice he didn't say we fear the emperor or we fear the governor or we fear men. We fear God alone. It's important to understand that, that submission to government is necessary. But our submission to government ultimately comes out of our fear of God. And we subject ourselves to the governors and the authorities for the Lord's sake. As Christians, as free um, servants of God, free from sin, we model good lives to show God's love. Out of our fear of God, and fear isn't being scared of, but having an incredible respect for, a holy reverence for. But ultimately, as believers, we are called to submit to our government. Because he says, respect others, love the brotherhood, fear God, submit to the governing authorities out of our fear of God. He moves then, Peter moves from talking about submitting to our government 
to the authorities that are, the, the civil authorities, to, to a more personal place, and he starts talking about how slaves are to submit. And we're to submit because uh, it is commendable before God. He says, slaves, submit yourselves to your master with all respect. Not, all, not only those who do good and are considered, but those who are harsh. And he, I think he's specifically speaking here to, to, believing, to believing slaves who are serving unbelieving masters, harsh masters. And I think I read somewhere at this time in Rome, there were, there were about 60 million slaves. So a large part of the population were slaves. And he says to those who were believing, you're to submit yourself to your masters. He says, this is commendable before God. That word commendable means praise and honor to congratulate. So God rewards those who submit to authority and especially to harsh authorities. In fact, I think we see here the secret that enables us to do that, that, that we live with a consciousness of God. He says, when you do what is right, when you do what you know is right. Here's a New Living Translation in verse 19. He says, for God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure. So, so the slaves at this time, the slaves that Peter was writing to, they knew what it was. They had relationship with God. And out of that relationship with God, they knew what, was, what, what, what it was to do right. And therefore, Peter says, because you know what is right, submit even to harsh masters. And he said, submission in the face of unjust suffering results in accommodation or reward for your faith. So as believers, we submit because we understand God's law. We understand what he desires of us. How do you submit to an employer that is unreasonable? How do you submit to an employer that, that is harsh? Now today, in, in our world, we have the freedom to go and look for another job. We can go find better working conditions. But maybe God has called you into a place of work where your conditions are less than favorable, where, where your employer takes advantage of you, where your employer isn't fair. Peter would say, as long as you're there in that place, you submit to your employer. As long as you're in that condition because of who you are in Christ, for the sake of the Lord, you are obedient to your employer. You do what he asks you to do. You don't revolt. You don't talk about him. You don't gossip about him. You don't um, steal time from him. You be the best employee you can possibly be. What Peter's saying is, look, slaves, you be the best slave that you can possibly be. Remember who you are 
as a follower of Christ, remember who you are at the core, and because of that, you be the best employee that you can be. I don't know what situation you find yourself in this morning, what your employment situation is like, but here it says that as a follower of Christ, you be the best employee that you can be because of Christ, because of his example. That's the last thing. We obey authority because of the example that he set. We can endure hardship and, and punishment because of the example that he set. And it says in verse 21 that he committed no sin, speaking of Christ, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. It says, look, we've all gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So we, we, we look at Christ. We look at the example that he set and how he endured suffering. And we follow his example. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he submitted himself to the Father. Even though he said, Father, take this cup from me and yet not my will be done, but your will be done. Because of who the Father was, because Jesus understood What was before him, he endured the cross. He submitted to the Father. But he didn't just submit to the Father. He submitted himself to unjust authorities. And he suffered because of them. But he never cursed Pilate. He never cursed anybody on the cross. In fact, when he was on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But Jesus understood. He understood who he was, and he understood the fact that Pilate had as much power as God had given him. In fact, he says in John 19, Pilate said, do you refuse to talk to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered him. He says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who has handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. So Jesus says, the power that you have to crucify me came from my father. I trust my father. I'm willing to endure for my father. He understood who he was and whose he was. And for us, we are able to submit ourselves even to unjust authority because of Christ's example. And we understand that he submitted himself, he suffered 
so that God would be honored and glorified. And so when we look at, at, at the why of submitting to our authorities, it begins by us understanding who we are at our core, who we are as followers of Christ. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We belong to Him. Christ died for us. And so when we understand whose we are, who we are at the core, we will begin to understand that our submission is for the glory of God. And as we submit, as we do what God asks us to do, and we love people in the culture that we live in, it will silence ignorant talk. Men will see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. We submit because we are free in Christ. We are no longer in bondage. Our freedom isn't dependent on our government. Our freedom comes from Christ. And we will be rewarded for our suffering. But it's very important for us to understand as followers of Christ that we have a responsibility to submit to our authorities. We have a responsibility to teach our children what it means to submit to authority. You know, in our fuel class on, on uh, Wednesday night, somebody, somebody asked a question, how do you teach your children respect? And the way you teach your children respect is you model it. You show them what respect is. And it begins by our conversations around the supper table about our president, about their school teachers, about the preachers, about anybody that is in authority, how a parent talks about or communicates authority to their children is how children will respect authority. So as a parent, you have to understand your responsibility to submit yourself to authority. And you have to teach your children the responsibility to submit to their authorities. And you have to remind them, and we have to remind ourselves, we submit because of the, so that we can glorify God. Point people to Jesus. How will you do that? Father, I pray that this morning as we um, wrestle with what it means to be submissive to authority, um, first of all, that, that we would understand our identity in Christ, who we are as followers of Christ, and what you've called us to. And then, Father, you would give us the, the, the courage. You would give us the, um, the desire to submit to um, our governmental authorities, to our employers, to our school teachers. Father, that, that as those who are in authority over us watch us, they would see something different that they would see our good deeds and give you glory for it. Father, may the church represent you well in the places we go.